Welcome back to Between Two Wings. I'm your host, Emily Norman, and today we have Peter Hornfelt with us. You might know him better as Mentor Pilot. He is very fond of sharing his experiences with all of us who are interested in aviation so we can learn from what he's experienced and also just educate us on the industry itself. Um, he's also a line training captain for a major airline in Europe, but we're going to dive into a lot of these things here in a little bit. So first and foremost, Peter, thanks so much for coming on our show. Emily, thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be here and I'm really looking forward to, um, to well, to chat about whatever you you feel like chatting about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always so much we can talk about. So unfortunately, you know, we can't dive into everything, but yeah, I think we'll I think we'll hang on a few good things here. So starting off, though, um, I just have a very simple background. I'm an instrument training, so I barely ever get to see outside. This was actually one time where I told my my instructor that I wasn't going to put the hood back on until I took a photo because it was a nice BFR day, uh, but not much else story there. Uh, but you've got something pretty fascinating behind you. What, what's going on there? Well, this is this is my home away from home. This is the uh, cockpit of the 737-800, which I'm currently operating. So what all have you done with the 737-800? It sounds like you've not only flown them, you know, you are now moving towards the process of allowing other people to fly them through all the checks of being a line train captain and the other things as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, my role at the moment is as a um, as a line training captain, like you pointed out. That means that I'm flying with new pilots that haven't flown on the type before who's, who's coming in. in. In Europe, that means they can come straight from flight school and into one of these. Uh, because we don't have the 1,500-hour rule that, that you have on the FAA. Um, but also experienced pilots that are coming from other airlines that are transitioning over to my airline. I fly with those. I do command upgrades training. And I'm, I'm also a simulator instructor and an examiner. So I do their actual initial training onto the type as well, which is in a nice big box up in London at the moment. Yeah, that's gotta be really rewarding as well, because you probably think back to when you were in that position and you had some line training captain teaching you all these things and going through the checks with you. I, I mean, you, you cannot be a good instructor unless you remember how it was to be a student. That's my mm -hmm. firm belief. And you, 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 need to, you need to put yourself in the shoes of, of these cadets, especially when we're working with people who may be in their early 20s when they're doing their training. Um, but but from all ages, you, you need to know what they're feeling. You need to know the uncertainty that they're bringing with them, the the, the anxiety of having to, to learn, you know, so much under such a limited amount of time. And if you don't if you don't kind of understand that and remember it, it's it's going to be hard to be a good instructor. Yeah, I think the the phrase I've heard the most, especially when you get into your type ratings and jet flying, it's really just drinking from the fire hose. There's so much coming at you, and you just have to attempt to catch it and absorb it all. So. Yeah, it, it's fascinating actually to see because um, we always tell them that. We, you, you tell them that you are going to have a, a, a learning curve that is beyond anything that you've ever come across. And you sit here now not knowing how to properly operate this aircraft. And in two months, you will know how to operate this aircraft. And you'll, you cannot you know, recall how it was not knowing it. And that will happen over a space of maybe two to three months. So it is very, very intense. You have to live, eat, breathe, think the type rating during the time you do it. I hope that you have lots of people coming in, especially I feel like the airlines are, you know, starting to ramp back up. I'm sure pilot training is very rigorous and lots of candidates. So, you know, all positive trends here on out. Yeah, it's, it feels like it's, uh, it's either on or off in this industry, either mm -hmm. it's 
full 100% charge ahead or it is breaks on like it was during the pandemic. Um, but now the industry, at least from, from my standpoint and where I can see the contacts that I have and so on, uh, the industry is starting to realize that there is a generation shift coming up. Um, all of the baby boomers that are disappearing out of the workforce and to a certain extent did disappear um, now during COVID. They were supposed to go maybe in three years or so. Uh, the latest ones would, would have gone then. But now with the COVID, maybe they were meant redundant and they felt like, no, that's it. I'm just going to leave it here and and make it, call it a day. So all of a sudden, we are, you know, we've lost those pilots early. And then you also have the uh, the fact that a lot of pilots who were made redundant from all over the world during the pandemic had to find another income source during these years. Like you can't go two years hoping that you're going to be recalled. So they mm-hmm. they got other jobs. They got jobs as, you know, working in banks and, and doing things like that. And and what I've found is that a lot of those, maybe 10, 15% of those people actually enjoy the fact that they're now home and they can go to football practice with their son and they can do all of those things. So they're not coming back. Um, so you have that, you know, you had a, a pumping aviation business in 2019, working on all cylinders, everything was working fine. And then you have COVID coming in and just make a complete stop to the industry for two years. And then it's supposed to be just ramped up and started at the same or even higher level after that and you're finding out that no we, we don't have the people anymore hence the kind of of um mad dash for recruitment that we're seeing now yeah and i mean it's probably reciprocating over in europe as well we're definitely seeing that on a very large scale here with summer coming up and you know travel plans and everything kind of getting back to normal um but let's take it back a little bit and talk about how you got started in aviation, you know, kind of typical love story, got bit by the aviation bug, but I think you have a really unique way that you were, I guess, found the resources to get your private license and move forward. Tell us a little bit of that. Yeah. So I find, I, I found the goal, like you said, I was bitten by the bug at a very early age, which meant that I, I could use my early years when I was 14, 15 to try to find the best possible way to achieve my goal. And I found that in the form of a government-sponsored program that we are very fortunate to have in Sweden, or at least I had when, when I grew up, um, which is where you, you apply to this, this school, um, completely paid by the government. Um, there's only 30, or there was only 30 spots available for every year. But if you are among those lucky 30, then I could, as part of my, I would say, junior college years, I was 17, um, you could start to train to get your PPL, your CPL, and your instrument rating. And then there was a further course that you could apply to to get your um, your MCC and your multi-engine license later on. Which is, I, I you know, I, I was working my butt off for uh, for several years to get my grades up high enough to have a chance to come for an interview. And I managed to to pass that interview and got into that training, which was a, I mean, a dream come true would be an understatement. Yeah, definitely a dream come true. Um, so fast forward, you know, now you are a very young first officer. I think you said you were 23 when you start, right? I was 20 when I started. Yeah. So I was, I worked for, yeah, I, I managed that. That's another story. Obviously, after the, after you've done your training, you actually need to find a job as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, I was done with my, um, with my training just basically after the 9-11 attacks which of course devastated the aviation industry globally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it, it was not easy to find a job, but I, I managed to, to, to find a job in an airline that was expanding heavily at the time, um, which is the same airline that I'm in now, by the way. I've stayed there for 20 years. And, um, and which I, is kind yeah, of rare, right? I very rare. Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. <laughs> like it is, it is rare, um, but for several different reasons. So mm -hmm. sometimes when you when you join, obviously when you join the industry, you maybe get into a, a slightly less economically exactly. stable yeah. airline. Like you might be in a, in a small operation that might shut down at any point, and that tends to be the reason why people hop in the beginning because an airline goes bankrupt, and then you have to mm -hmm. apply for a new one. I've been fortunate to work for a very uh, economically stable airline. Um, and I've also had the opportunity to move around a little bit inside of the airline to do different roles. And they have been very, very good to me. Like I've been very, very happy. And I think that's key, obviously. Otherwise, you keep looking for that other grass that is slightly greener on the other side. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was 20 when I started. Um, and, uh, and then I worked for a few years as a first officer on the 737. And then I was fortunate enough to 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 snag a job as a um, as a synthetic flight instructor, which is a, a training, a simulator training, um, first officer. So you, like you mentioned earlier, you are that bright-eyed person. Just got all their ratings. Now you're going to do your dream job. You're yep. being mixed with probably an older generation who's been flying and sitting in that left seat for quite a while. What were some of the differences that they? Where that you remember the comp being compared from before to your time when you're starting? Well, I mean, what has happened throughout the industry and keeps happening is it becomes more and more effective, you know, efficient, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, means the utilization of, of flight and cabin crew is much higher. So you fly more hours, um, you fly a tighter schedule, fly more routes, so on. So while back in the day, you might have done a flight over to somewhere and then you stay there for a while and then you flow back again now it's it's more about you know getting the maximum 900 hours out of each pilot each year so they felt that the workload had gone up and uh and you know with that the salary hadn't kind of gone up in the same way so i'd say that was probably the most um the most commonly um complained about thing yeah people can be really resistant to change but it keeps happening and especially in our industry uh, i like your point of they just found a way to make it more efficient um, in the end, it is a business, and but, there's always ways to improve on all the ends, so it makes sense. You see, that's the, that's the way to think about it if you want to be happy coming into, I think, any business, but this business in particular, is that you have to understand that even though you come into it because of a passion that you have, you're still coming into a business which is there to, to make money for shareholders, and they are going to try to do that as efficiently as they possibly can. And if if you look at it from from I think a lot of pilots coming in they take it personally the way that the airlines are handling it and of course it becomes personal because it is you and your life after all but I, I think that everyone is if you think of it from that perspective and then then you at least understand the other side of it you understand where they're coming from and then that that forms a basis for discussion you know where there's going to have to be a compromise between workers and the airline anyway. But if you think that they are in this for the passion like you are, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, no, I get that. And then just kind of reflecting here, looking at our two backgrounds, right? So in my background, I can essentially buzz wherever I want, do get well within limits, you know, freedom of flight kind of kind of thing. And 
with your backgrounds, you know, there's a very rigorous process and you don't go where you want to go or else you'll probably get in a lot of trouble. Um, so yeah, it's these two different mindsets. And I guess sometimes maybe it could be hard to merge, especially when you get into it for that mindset that I have behind me. Um, so really, really interesting point there. Exactly. And that, that's the thing. Um, and this is why there are, I mean, the, the aviation business is so full of different types of jobs that you can do. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you can get paid to go out and fly in the bush in Alaska. You can you can do mail flights at night. You can do mail. You can do uh, cargo, passenger, um, private jets. There's loads and loads of things that you can do, and I think that you, whatever you choose to go into and whatever you choose to do, you have to go into it with a realistic mindset of what it is that you are going to do, because it's when you don't have that when you go into it think that my job is going to be to fly in shiny jets and then lie on a beach for two days and then fly back again, and then you realize that this is actually hard work like it, it, it I'll, be, I'll be tired when i get home after a long day of work then maybe that that mismatch in expectations and what you actually get is what causes people to become disappointed and if you don't have that if you come into it with your eyes wide open you can see the, all of the fantastic benefits there are and the positive things of it um i mean i every time that i set takeoff trust in the 737 i i still i still feel that feeling i had as a cadet like i can't believe they're paying me for this <laughs> uh and when you when you when you fly into in, in over a sunset and you do a two-sector day with a really nice crew and everything works it's it it is a fantastic job like it really is yeah i get that um and so bringing i think this kind of pulls into the point of mentor pilot why you've started this and what you really try to share there i mean it's not only trying to educate people on how to be better pilots or get into flying but then also just the expectations of the job so why did this why did you start this and how has it kind of progressed since it was created well i mean i've done it for seven years and i started it for exactly the reasons that you just brought up i felt that there was a mismatch i felt that it was a, a an opening in the niche for someone to explain a positive side of aviation uh, and a constructive side without being you know the pamphlet kind of guy i wanted to tell mm -hmm. them what, why i loved what i do but also what the negatives were um because what i what i found was and i what i you know on the internet like everyone does and you very quickly find these um these chat groups and pages where you can meet other pilots like peeperoon or uh, stuff like that and what you could find very quickly was that a lot of people were in there to vent their frustration with the job mm -hmm. that they had so instead of like i came in it's like oh how is it to work at at british airways and you'd always find people that were working with Airways said oh you know i don't like it for these reasons yada 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 mm -hmm. But what I understood after having, I mean, I started it when I'd already been 13 years in the business, was that probably the people that were happy, maybe they weren't in these chat rooms. Maybe they were out, you know, kite surfing or spending time with their spouses or whatever. So what you tended to get was a very skewed picture of what was going on, where you only had people who were displeased. That's why they wanted to vent. Mm -hmm. And that's why I thought, well, I'm going to start something where I speak from my heart about my experience and i was very clear with that in the beginning saying that i'm not representative of everyone not even in my own airline i can represent anyone else than myself but i can tell you what i have had learned over this time and what my feelings about it is and what you should be thinking from my experience about when you're about to start your training or when you're getting into an airline so that's that's how it started Initially, it was all about talking to people in your situation that was just about to get into the business. That became 
popular, more and more popular. I mean, initially it would just be me inside, you know, in front of my iMac, no fancy graphics, no, mm-hmm. no you know, the audio was terrible. But the message was still and is still true. So it started to grow and I started to get more and more people watching. And I started to branch out to try to explain different parts of it. And I realized that there's a lot of people out there, passengers, who did not know about the ins and outs of aviation. But me, having been an instructor for so long, had a bit of a knack for explaining those fairly technical things in a, in a reasonably easy way. So that even my mom could understand it. That that was my goal. I, you know, I'm supposed to make a video so that my mom can watch it and, and understand what I'm talking about. If I do that, most of the people will be able to understand it. Would you ever test your content and say, "Hey, mom, watch this"? Does oh, yeah. it make sense? <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no. She, she could be watching my videos, and if she had questions about it, I knew that that I had that there was something else I should have put a little bit more emphasis on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's an art teacher. You know fantastic woman but she's definitely not a pilot and she had never had any interest in it so that was the target group like okay i need to be able to 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 explain that to her Uh, and that's how it has been growing so it's gradually changed into more of like an overview of of the business yeah no that's incredible and i i just love that you you've obviously put a lot of thought into this to make sure that everyone can understand it and the way your content has evolved. I know you're getting into a lot of scenario videos where you're taking something that was an accident or just a really uh-oh situation and trying to break it down so everyone can learn something from it. Um, it's great. Yeah, so I, I was very, for, for a lot of years, I didn't want to go close to accidents or incidents mm-hmm. at all um, because I, I didn't feel that I had what it took to, properly portray or explain what had happened. But as I started to get a bigger um, a bigger team um, and I started to be able to, to, to show more things graphically, I also understood that using these sometimes terrible events, the way that we do it in the aviation business is we use them as case studies. You know, mm-hmm. we, we every time that I do recurrent training, we sit down and we have a look at one of these case studies and we see, okay, what can we, can we learn from this? You know, what is this there that we can make positive out of this horrible event? And I realized that we, you can do this for the general public as well. You can explain something that they've heard about, they've read in the newspapers, but you go into it, this dissect it down to the details of technically what exactly went wrong. A lot of times there are things like communication, leadership, um, the, the crew resource management between the pilots or the cabin crew or air traffic control, and you explain that. And I can do it from from the way that I see it, you know, okay, it's possible that the captain thought like this, because I would have thought like that, you know. And by doing so, you demystify the horror, which when you go in and you you read a newspaper article about it, or you listen to the news, it just sounds horrible. And you get the feeling that this was just some, these passengers were just flying, and then all of a sudden, there was a fireball, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's not the way that these things go. So I wanted to explain that for people who were nervous flyers. Believe it or not, a lot of the people watching are actually uh, nervous flyers. They, they want to know why this happened. But also because for pilots, there is a lot of learning lessons in here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have both the people who, who just want to know what happened. And then you have people that are, want to become pilots, that want to be, get a little bit more. And you even have professionals 
that wanted to hear, okay, mm, I've been in a situation like that, this is interesting. So you have the full spectrum of people that will be able to get something positive out of this. Even people, I, I was struggling to try to come up with ways how to explain to someone how a hydraulic system worked, right? <laughs> how, how am I supposed to make that interesting for someone to actually be able to listen to it? But I found that if you do it as part of a story where there is a need to understand how the hydraulic system works in order to understand why it failed, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden people do listen and they do remember how that hydraulic system works. So it is a very, very powerful learning tool, um, storytelling. Yeah, and I think you do a really, really great job of it. I mean, I can only imagine all your students and everyone who comes through you, through your company, um, appreciates everything that you do. And I know all of us watchers of your content get a lot from it. Um, you know, air disasters may even be coming after you for your, your content on the, the accident stuff, but I'll let you figure that one out. Yeah, um, no, I, I really hope that someone gets, that, that they get the positive side out mm -hmm. of it. Um, I, I really do. That, 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 is the, that was the reason I, I held it off for a long time and this is the reason I'm doing it now. Um, but obviously I've also started my, my, you know, my sister channel, Mentor Now, because I realized that Mentor Pilot had kind of warped into a storytelling um, channel. But I still wanted to talk about current things. I wanted to, to research and explain, okay, this is how this is impacting aviation. But I can't do that on the Mentor Pilot channel because it's storytelling. So here, yeah. I'll be able to do that. Definitely. Well, Pierre, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I hope everyone goes to mentorpilot.com. Just searches you on Google. You'll find the find your YouTube, you'll the Instagram, the mentor now as well. Um, yeah, just immense amount of resources. I think we could all go down a rabbit hole just clicking on one of your channels. Um, so thanks again so much for coming on Between Two Wings. Oh, thank you very much for having me here. Of course. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Between Two Wings. We'll see you next time. Bye.